Much like the Beatles, we here at the Owls AmeriCast record a lot of stuff that doesn't always make it into the show. Half-formed ideas, some might call them B-sides, that don't quite make the cut for the rigorous Sheffield Wednesday discussion you are privy to each week. But in honor of Liam Palmer's first goal in nine years, here, courtesy of Evan Skilter, is one such gem from the cutting room floor. Don't know how he got there, you don't know why But Liam Palmer's in your heart and you can't say goodbye All you know is when he's in there, you can't look away He plays for Scotland and the famous Wednesday I'm singing Liam Palmer, he plays left or right Wish you were here to tuck me in at night And while you're off in Scotland, hope you do okay You're the best damn player that's ever played for Wednesday time on the Owls AmeriCast, Sheffield Wednesday Opinion with an American Accent, your host, Jeffrey Paternostro, had a cheeky question at the end of the show for our co-hosts about what weird way Wednesday could possibly score a goal at the weekend. Shockingly, none of them picked Liam Palmer scoring his first goal in nine years off a long throw. Can't imagine why. Sometimes the truth is stranger than fiction, or at least the Twitter bumper. That was weird, but the rest of the episode will be pretty normal, because we will start with what I'm drinking. And I am drinking, after Wednesday got their Just Desserts six points this week, I'm having a chocolate porter from the Alvarium Beer Company in New Britain, Connecticut, called Choco Mountain, brewed with cocoa powder, cocoa cocoa nibs, or cacao nibs, and natural flavors. It's like 5% too sweet for me for a chocolate porter, but it's not bad. Also on the line this week... In New Jersey. It's Patty Jones. Patty, two questions. One, what are you drinking? Two, when I asked you how are Wednesday going to score a goal this weekend, why didn't you say off a long throw and a Liam Palmer goal? This is one of the things that happened in that sequence of events, which it was even more unlikely, was that Tom Lees won the first header as well, that off long throw, which is why I didn't, it didn't come to me. I thought Palmer maybe score a goal, maybe we get a long throw. Uh, but I didn't th- didn't think that Lee's a winner header, so that's why I didn't say it. And what are you drinking, Patty? Uh, what am I drinking? I'm drinking water. Nothing exciting. So, yeah, yeah, so nothing exciting going on this for you tonight? <laughs> no. <laughs> nope. Just being a little tired. <laughs> awesome line in New England. It's Justin Disorder. Justin, two questions. What are you drinking? And two, when I asked you how Wednesday might finally score a goal, why didn't you say Liam Palmer with a toe poke off a long throw? So I'm drinking uh, <clears throat> Long Trail Brewing Company in Vermont, a very old uh, brewery or relatively old. Uh, their Limbo IPA. It's okay. Uh, I have a friend who keeps, I may have mentioned this, I have a friend who keeps giving me beers that he likes and I don't like any of them. And I just kind of politely thank him and, and drink his overly hoppy, overly bitter overly spicy beers because they're seven and a half percent alcohol. So that is that. And uh, Jeff, if you actually recall when you asked me uh, last week, you said it would be ugly. I went back and looked. No, 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 no. I said nothing. I stuttered and hemmed and hawed until Patty saved the radio silence (laughs) by jumping in and saying ugly. At which point I said, yes, ugly. There we go. So that's my excuse. Also online this week, it's James Allen. James, I have two questions for you. Who are you and what are you doing on this podcast? I've never seen you before. Pretty reasonable questions, Jeff. <laughs> um, hello. Uh, my name is James and I'm a, uh, I'm a resolved Wednesday alcoholic. I mean, uh, Wednesdayite. Um, that's the word, right phrase, right? James, would you have predicted Liam Palmer scoring a goal at the weekend? 
Entirely, yes. My prescient forecasting skills yeah. are legendary, and uh, I absolutely would have predicted Liam Palmer would score pretty much in the same way as the last time I was on this podcast. I said that Tony Pulis would absolutely save us from relegation. I mean, he has in a way, perhaps, by getting fired. <laughs> the man moves in mysterious ways. In this episode of the Owls America, we will review two wins on the bounce, home against Preston and at AFC Bournemouth. We will once again do some manager odds and preview another freaking two-fixture week because there's just going to be two-fixture weeks for the rest of the season. I think there's, what is it, eight games in the next 26 days or something? Something just absolutely stupid. But we will start with the Preston North End game. <laughs> I think we've already discussed the Liam Palmer goal enough, but... uh my talking point is a little bit of change after a, a pretty strong performance from uh, Urihide in the FA Cup game. He's getting some runouts, and I guess what we've determined is the left of his center back three, although functionally playing left back a lot of the time is Matt Petty plays on the wing or cuts inside in sort of the Adam Reach role. And it's worked. It's looked good. Uh, Urihide's positional awareness seems a lot better than it was this time last year. Penny offers something a little bit, <laughs> a little bit more going forward than someone like I don't know anybody else we've rolled out at fullback uh, this year or even wing back. I look. Is it the ideal setup to have two, you know, functionally youth team players with very little first team experience under their belt, manning the entire left flank for Wednesday? No, but it's worked so far and. They seem to at least have fresh legs and be able to stay relatively fit and play 90 minutes, Fatty. Yeah, I'm going to focus on uh, the rest of that defense too for the Preston game um, and then a little bit of positive how that affects going midfield too. So obviously, um, I think uh, the Preston first half, Hutchinson was up to his uh, hero self almost, wasn't he? He was diving in front of things, uh, attacking down uh, the, the players that they had. It was I thought it was really really good to see and he, he continued for most of the game against uh, Bournemouth in that manner too um, what I really like about uh, Hutchin Rigidi back there which uh, you kind of call a little bit too is that you kind of you have two defenders that are very good at man marking but also coming out out of the zones as well to kind of shut people down quickly and whoever it is that's doing the kind of shutting down and press- pressuring the other one is dropping back so that back three is very good at um, almost sniffing out danger before it gets too close to the 18-yard box. Which is something considering none of them have played together before in their lives, probably. <laughs> no, it's, it's really good to see. And uh, and what I like about having that back three and Hutchinson back there, I feel like Bannon feels more creative. Uh, he's in a much more... Um, we've obviously got Joey Peplessy and Hutchinson the side, so you've got two kind of like centre-half defensive midfielder kind of combos covering back there now. And Bannon feels more confident going uh, towards the box um, in the right direction rather than the wrong direction. And I think he's had more effect on both the last two games. But uh, I'm going to credit Hutchinson coming back into uh, setting him free a little bit. Yeah, I wasn't sure what they were going to do with Hutchinson at this point in his career. But he actually has looked pretty good in the sort of the, the center of that center back three, being willing to, you know, he sort of did this with Michael Hector at times last year where he can sort of freelance a little bit and, you know, move up into more of a defensive midfield pivot, but he isn't expected. Like, you don't get the marauding hutch in the same way you would get the marauding hutch when he was more in that traditional central defensive midfield role. He does have to be a little more positionally disciplined. If you remember with uh, Carlos, at least certainly the first year, that was a lot of what we saw from him when we had the ball moving forward, hutch would drop into the middle and uh, split Lubins and Lees to kind of look like a back three while the fullbacks in, in Poodle and uh, Hunt got up the field. So I, I don't think this is an unusual position for Hutchinson. And and I got to admit, I, I wasn't super on board with him coming back partially because it's, it just feels like desperation getting the old crew together. Um, and, you know, who knows what he's quite ready to bring. I have my questions about, you know, what happened with him and multiple managers that that's a little, you know, alarming to me at times, but full credit to him. The the first game sharing the defensive midfield with Pelopassi was a little rough last two games on the back line. He's been 
it's been very, very good. Um, he's been a stabilizing force back there. And it's, as you mentioned, either him or Erdogan can get the ball and advance it a little bit calmly and comfortably with the ball at their feet instead of just hoofing it out of there. And I think that's given us uh, an opportunity to hold on to the ball a little more and uh, play a nicer brand of football than we've seen for much of the year. You say that, but your talking point is nothing really happened, but it was open at least. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, you know, I'll be honest. I watched the whole game. I don't remember much. Yeah, of I it. don't either. To you be know, it just not much actually happened, but I appreciated that we were trying, right? And we were trying to hold on to the ball and move it around. And we lacked significant quality in the final third. There was really no attack aside from a long throw off of Lee's into Palmer's feet. Um, you know, we really weren't able to put much together, but, oh, it's so much better than, than when, when things are going bad under Monk, it looked really bad. And I don't know if things actually ever went good under Pulis, but it, it, no matter when it was going, it looked horrible. And, and I did appreciate that at least, especially coming off that last, that last game, which had us quite, or at least me, quite drunk and depressed last week, um, it's really nice to see them uh, giving it a go and trying to play some football. You know, you say it was lacking in the final third, and it, I mean, it was lacking in the final third. But one thing that impressed me, and we'll pivot to James's talking point here, is they seem to find that balance. Like around the 70, 70, 75th minute mark, they did start to play, you know, more of a defensive minded, seeing it out style but we're still willing to push up field and into the corners and you know created a couple chances you know if Rhodes takes that ball first time uh in the box maybe there's something something on for him and they get a second but James it was just I mean Preston's not a bad team and they did not look like scoring in the last 15 minutes of that game despite trying to turn the screws no spot on I mean look um I've forgotten the uh the technical quality of this podcast, it's, um, it's setting quite a high bar for talking points, but mine's a much more simplistic one, which is just that we showed good discipline, to your point, Jeff. I mean, you know, a lot of times this season, our habit when a goal up in a game has been just to revert to playing attack versus defence, where we adopt the role of defence and the inevitable happens. Um, what was nice about the game on Saturday was once they did get the goal and, yes, it you know, came from an unlikely source, they they just organized themselves and played the game out in a way that you would kind of expect a bunch of 11 professional footballers to be able to do, but Sheffield Wednesday haven't done for uh, for some time. So it was kind of a, you know, it was a real boon to see them doing exactly that, not just sitting deep, but also playing to the corners also, you know, just finding ways to keep possession. Um, I mean, it is a shame that Jordan Rhodes is never going to come good because, um, you know, that second goal would have been the icing on the cake, but you know, you, uh, we keep on hoping, right? <laughs> Can I? Well, on the point of um, seeing the game, I think uh, what really helps with that is some of uh, Thompson's tactics, right? Um, yeah. Reach, Reach really kind of uh, I thought struggled in this game. Uh, I didn't think he had a great game against Barmouth either. Uh, gave the ball away quite a lot. And what was nice was that we could bring him off. Uh, I think with like fifteen twenty minutes left, and bring Luongo on, who kind of steadied the ship a lot more as well. So, uh, I think. What we've seen from Thompson, the what six games he's been in charge of, in mm-hmm. that now seven games, six games, yeah, right. um, is that he's got a bit more tactical now than than your regular caretaker manager like say Lee Bullen. Um, so um, you know the bar is very low there, but still, uh, it's uh, it's it's getting to the stage now where we've been waiting a month for managers. That is he just sat right in front of us, getting win every other game pretty much. I do like oh, the, Patty, I, do. I, I know. Well, I was just going to say real quick, Patty, I know you and I on the internet exchanged uh, a bit of surprise and uh, positivity about what the bench looked like going into that game. And I said, my God, it's actually looks like a bench where you can bring players on and do something with. And you know, maybe, maybe Pulis and Monk didn't quite have that opportunity, but Thompson certainly taken advantage of it. I do yeah, like that the bar now for... Sheffield Wednesday manager is sets up in a formation that actually suits the players and knows how to make credible <laughs> substitutions. Yeah, but here's the here's the kind of the um, the less jokey side of that, which is look, we've just gone through a transfer window where we completely failed to bring a single player into the club, right? Andre Green, Sam Hutchinson, 
I'll say again, completely <laughs> failed to bring new players into the club that you know weren't free agents or possibly on a um, behavioural disorder charge in Cyprus. So what I was trying to get at is that you you need someone who can get the best out of this squad. Now that's either someone who can come in and just simply you know discover something that six or seven managers have failed to yield, or you go with somebody who actually knows the players, knows their styles, and can adapt a couple of systems in order to try and get something out of the league. And if you look at the balance of games that Thompson's taken charge of, in the most, we've been competitive. Um, in several, we've actually managed to you know, outdo teams that are in the sphere of the division that we need to get wins against. And there's one really dud performance against Coventry, which may or may not correlate with players getting played. So, you know, I, I think you have to look on the balance of probability that actually we're probably better served with someone who knows this squad than someone who just comes in and has their hands tied and potentially we have another personality clash going on in the dressing room. I won't make two points related to that, James. One, your manager point is well taken. I'll just point out that if they do hire Clarence Seedorf, he could probably still do a better job in the midfield than Joey Pelopesi. And two, to be fair to Sam Hutchinson, whatever he may or may have not done in Cyprus, probably not the worst thing a British footballer did in the Greek Isles in recent times. Ah, that's a good show. I, I remember when we were first talking about the manager, um, and I had suggested letting Tomo run out the season um, or waiting a bit to find out. And Patty made the point that, you know, I kind of, I jumped on his side. I was believing him. The idea that, no, we've got a transfer window here. We've got to get somebody in. We can't have a transfer I mean, window Patty and wasn't bring wrong. somebody else in. <laughs> no, that's exactly it. It just, we waited beyond that point. So now that the transfer window is over and we haven't gotten the right players for a manager, or have we, maybe it is time to to stick with uh, Tomo for the rest of the season and see where that goes. Well, he acquitted himself quite well tactically in the Burnmouth game as well, although I'm going to quibble a little bit. Look, it's a great win. I do want to say at the out front. It just, and Patty touched on this sort of like Reach giving the ball away cheaply. Bannon was doing it as well. Burnmouth looked there for the taking. They were very sloppy in possession. They probably should have had two or three goals by the time Hutch got a little uh, feisty in the penalty area and conceded the penalty. I just, look again, anytime you can beat a team in the playoff places on the road when you're struggling for points and in a relegation scrap, you take that 10 times out of 10. It's just, it was not very pleasant for me to watch, I guess is my main complaint here. Oh, so my talking point, Jeff, was, uh, is Jeff on crack? Because uh, <laughs> I, I really wanted to hear, I just wanted to hear your perspective of why you thought it was... Um, a little frustrating to watch. I think the point you're missing here, Jeff, is that we're not a good football team. We don't have the caliber. I, I think I'm of aware of that, Justin. So, well, I, then you should expect, you know, you should expect that. I thought that was brilliant. We have, I mean, and, and listen, like, I like Elias Kachanga, right? I like Callum Patterson. I, I think they do a good job. I think they're enjoyable footballers to root for. Uh, they're not that great. They're, mid-table championship players and we rolled out there with a mix of mid-championship veterans some fill-ins and some kids and granted Bournemouth is a mess they just fired their manager they hadn't won in six uh you know they're they're tough but I would still see them having a chance to go up with the talent on that squad that is a premier league caliber squad that has kind of fallen apart in the last few years. And we rolled into their house and held them at bay. I mean, they controlled the ball for a while, especially in the second half, but I, we didn't have to, we didn't have to do much. So to come out of that with the squad that we were putting out there, the way things have been going, uh, I was, I was very pleased with that performance. Me too. And I think, I think Jeff, were you like 20 minutes late to the game or 15 minutes late to the game? Something I was like eight late. minutes late to the game. I missed. That's when the best. Bit, that's when the best play was, though. The first ten minutes, we were like uh, playing free throwing football. Miss, how did Kachunga miss that? So oh, I, I did watch the replay of that, oh, and like, he needs to get a little more. It's not a bad. It's a good save, though. It's a quality save with the keeper's feet. Yeah, he should beat him from uh, that spot, but it is a good save. 
I, I think I just posted online the hand palm on face emoji. <laughs> <laughs> that was, uh, well, look, this, this is an unscripted talking point, but can we just talk about the fact that Barry Bannon nearly scored from outside the box? Twice. He, he almost did in Preston. <laughs> fair, fair. But in those first 10 minutes that you were watching, Jeff, there was an absolutely beautiful end-to-end -end I saw that. I watched the video. Free at reach on the right-hand side. Yeah. He checks back. He plays it across. Bannon's on rushing. He absolutely connects, and it's flying into the top corner. I mean, he scores one of those a year, James. It's not like he never scores no, something. No, no, he, he has one of those for about three years. <laughs> the point. And the point was we nearly unleashed our inner Barry Bannon. And th this is kind of the point of the balance between the two teams and what this squad, or at least what the individuals are capable of, right? When they turn it on, when they play fluid football, they're not bad footballers. And somehow or other, we just do not... <clears throat> unlock that potential within them. I mean, there's all sorts of reasons we can get into, but were, like Paddy says, there were 10 minutes where Wednesday got really good. And it was the first 10 minutes you weren't watching, Jim. I'll yeah, throw out... play football. <laughs> I wish we can. Um, well, I, I'll, I, sorry, Paddy. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I, th I think this game was kind of like split into thirds almost. The first like 30 minutes, we were really good and kind of all over them. Then there was a period, like 20 minutes either side of uh, the halftime, where just nothing happened. Everyone just <laughs> forgot how to play football. It was just such dire, dire football. Uh, but um, yeah, I, I feel like it was really kind of like uh, good taking our chances. Uh, and we kind of got a scrappy goal, obviously, we, uh, before halftime. Uh, literally the scrappiest goal. It was just, I mean, if the lucky goal against uh, Preston with Palmer getting on the end of a long ball, uh, God knows what this is. I mean, this is beyond well, so, the goals. Uh, I How mad say, is Tony Pulis wherever he's sitting? <laughs> <laughs> it finally fucking worked! I, I will say this. I mean, it was an absolutely terrible back pass, but in a way, Wednesday's constant pressure against them playing out from the back possibly had an influence on it there's a little little skittish a little short trying to move it a little too quickly and not seeing where his goalkeeper was and and who uh who who was it that put that ball back into the box towards his errant goalkeeper jeff could you can you remember his name metham metham damn i thought it was david brooks i just every time <laughs> david brooks touched the, the ball and stuffed it up i was just basically thinking vicariously ha yeah, it was, he had a. Actually, it was one of the best players of it. It was still very bad. That's how bad they were. Um, but I feel like that Begovic was not expecting the same kind of power weak shot that he got uh, from Patterson that he got also from Kajunga. Surely we can't be that bad. I have two such terrible uh, shots on goal. So just kind no, of that, that was perception, Paddy. What slowly Cameron Patterson yeah. correctly judged there was that the, the way to beat Begovic was to put the weakest shot you can possibly imagine <laughs> with the outside of his ankle towards him, which he would then fold like a pack of cards over the top of. There was that moment where uh, there's like three separate moments where it's like you see the back pass, you see Patterson running out, and you're like, oh, we're going to score. You see him take the first touch. You're just like, why didn't he take it first time? We're not going to score. Then you see him <laughs> shoot it. You're like, what is he doing? We're not going to score. And then it just like rolls under Begovic. It's like, yeah, yeah. It's like in one of those like slow it's motion. Just, uh, Megovic is not used to this uh, quality finishing in the championship. He's got yeah. kind of like power in his shots. <laughs> was, he has to oh, say. What are you talking about? It's just like that Mo Salah outside of the foot goal <laughs> that Liverpool had this week. <laughs> <laughs> Same, just at like two thirds speed, basically. I was uh, driving home from work listening to the game when that happened, and uh, everybody's just confused. Like, I couldn't figure out what happened. <laughs> I had to get home and watch. A tweet of somebody replaying the incident to see that was the it was just so strange so strange and, and hey i don't even want to i need to knock on wood or something but you know we're, it's, it feels like it's been a while since we've gotten some of these bounces you know yeah um, yeah i mean on some level you it's helpful <laughs> you create your own luck and it certainly is not uh, yeah. been a wednesday a speciality in can we Recent talk about years. the second goal then? Because that was that is a James's talking point. Stunning. Jordan Rhodes is a salmon, which is, I think, technically the accurate term for him leaping hmm. from a you know a standing start with absolutely no influence whatsoever of the body that he may have been standing on at the time in order to nod the ball into the top corner. Hmm. What a absolutely typical Jordan Rhodes finish that was. Um, <laughs> Typical of Jordan Rhodes, probably circa maybe 
2009, 2010, I guess, as opposed to maybe 2017, 18, 19. But it was, no, I mean, joking aside, that move from Wednesday is kind of what we were talking about earlier on. And Paddy, I like your analogy of there were like three parts to the game. This was the part where Wednesday suddenly came back to life again, right? Because it was an end-to-end flowing move again. The ball from Harris, right? I mean, Kadeem Harris doesn't seem to have been able to hit a single player all season. And then he pulls out an absolute peach of a cross that is just perfectly weighted for Rhodes to meet. And he looks like he's been doing that his whole career. I mean, goodness knows why we can't get the best out of him on a regular basis. But if there wasn't a Wednesday night watching that who leapt out of their seat with him nearly as high and then was running around the place, you know, whatever the 90th minute it was I mean that's not what we do right we don't go from 1-0 up at Bournemouth to being dragged back to 1-1 with Hutchinson giving away a penalty to then winning it in injury time I think that's the first the first goal we scored in the last 15 minutes of the game all season yes it was (laughs) the first goal we scored in the last 15 minutes of the game yeah so I think I I was completely with you James I I had a laptop on me on me uh, um, legs watching on the sofa um, do some work and the laptop fell on the floor because I was jumped off my seats too. And like, it's just such a kind of release. We haven't had that release because we haven't scored in the last few minutes of the game. <laughs> <laughs> just to have that kind of like, fuck, we've just won it. And it's Jordan Rhodes. Ah, oh, yeah. Well, you it's say we while. just won it, but uh, Westwood started to make a pretty good save late yeah. to, uh, <laughs> to see it out yeah. because it is still Wednesday. Um, Rhodes bossed whoever was trying to cover him, whoever that poor center back or right back was. Yeah. Rhodes just fucking. <laughs> Downed him and put that ball. That was a stunning. That was a stunning cross by Harris. I don't know how you're able to on television tell the weight of a pass, but you can. In a second, it's like he, he hit it. You go. just know, yeah. Oh, the, the math. You did the math in your head, and you were like, "Holy shit, that is on the back post." And and what a finish from Rose. Well, well timed by uh, Reach too. He, he kind of held on, and everybody was kind of thinking, "Get rid of it. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. Send him." And he held on just long enough for Harris to uh, one-time it. I'm going to uh, publicly embarrass myself by admitting I was on the shitter for that goal. <laughs> <laughs> if you got to go, you got to go, man. And Justin, I the, there's uh, already been a commentator sacked for that today, you know. Proclaiming <laughs> know the, yes. the Hamilton uh, academical uh, co-commentator got sacked for saying he's had a wee jobby. A wee jobby. And he came back for the second half uh, break. Uh, uh, well... Thankfully, I don't work for Hamilton Academic. Um, <laughs> He's not the Barnsley fan that fell asleep on it. No, I gave the uh, instantaneous uh, the field goal, right? <laughs> double double hands raised victory. That's at least, you, at least you brought the video in with you, unlike Patty, who missed the Marco Matthias goal against Leeds. Why was it my commentators house. getting fired? I mean, is there any chance we could raise the fact that John Pearson spent half the Bournemouth commentary talking about three inches of snow had fallen in Sheffield while we were <laughs> northeaster? It was a battle. It was a battle to get there. To Chesterfield, yes. Yes, John. Uh, I love John Pearson. Put that uh, out there. On the Jordan Rhodes note, I'll just point out that perhaps some of the more cynical New York Owls in the WhatsApp group were suggesting that he's gotten himself in better shape and is just trying to play for a new contract now uh, or his next team. And I'll just say, look, if he keeps scoring late goals and keeping us up, he can go wherever he wants next. I don't care. It's perfectly fine. <laughs> That's how he wants to see out his Wednesday career. Um, also, I will point out he's come on the last two games. In the last 15 minutes, shown impressive hold-up play and scored a late winner. So, basically, Eddie knew he was back. It's about time. I mean, we finally replaced New Hugh. He's been there all along. It's Jordan Rhodes. Yeah. I, think, I feel like he did grow an extra inch as well after he scored that header. So, I think that's a, a good start for Jordan. Uh, no, I, I mean, I, I really do hope he's um, he gets a break. He's still got six months left, like half a season left to uh, pay his back. So, if he keeps scoring late goals to get three points, I think he might be on his way to paying that £8 million, £8 million back. If we stay up because he has a dominant run, I'm going to go out on a limb and declare that worth the contract <laughs> and all the nonsense that came with it. Uh, it's such, such a Wednesday thing year. to do, isn't it? Because like, yeah. we bought him to get the goals to go to get promoted. He ends up saving us from getting relegated instead. So. Right. Doesn't take the penalty against Huddersfield. <laughs> he'll like he'll like hit a penalty against like Darby the last day of the season to keep us up or something. <laughs> ah, all right. Let's take a break. Come back. 
We will cover the Wednesday news of the week and the fixtures of the upcoming week. Now it's time for some Wednesday news. And the managerial merry-go-round moves on. Before we get to the newest entries on our bet checker manager odds pages, we should deal with a manager that won't be coming to Sheffield Wednesday, although I believe still actually is listed as uh, 18 to 1 odds. <laughs> uh, and that's Paul Cook. Uh, we talked last week, I think, that Paul Cook said he turned down a six-month appointment for the rest of the season. Uh, Dayfon Chancery claims he never interviewed him, and he should, if he wants the job, he should ask him for an interview and not say things in the press. So, it's just another normal week in Sheffield Wednesday manager news, James. Yeah, I mean, um, this could be a recurring feature on the podcast, couldn't it? What are the latest odds on somebody else becoming the manager of Sheffield Wednesday? And I mean that in the honest sense that it'll probably be a recurring feature for the next two or three seasons. No, listen, it we shouldn't be daring our dirty laundry in public, regardless of what um, is going on behind the scenes with advisors. I don't think it does us any good. I don't think it does the chairman any good to be basically critiquing managers in the way that we are. Um, to the best of my knowledge, or at least through the sources that I'm aware of, Paul Cook is a perfectly honourable, decent you know, uh, professional football and, manager. And, and in his and defense, I might have actually he thinking he was... He was interviewing for Sheffield Wednesday. <laughs> it's much more to do with the way we're organized behind <laughs> the scenes, or rather the way we are not organized behind the scenes. That means that he was led up the garden path and that offers were made that apparently weren't firm offers. So look, the only people who lose out of this are Sheffield Wednesday as a football club and our reputation. So I would just much prefer it if we weren't talking about it, to be perfectly honest. And say we'll talk about Hank Tenkante, who is the newest entry in our managerial odds this week at 13 to 2, fourth favorite behind Neil Thompson, Chris Coleman, and still Roy Keane somehow. I reckon Hank Tenkate was likely going to get the job up until Thompson secured his second win this week. Um, I think there was some conversations happening and then maybe Chan Siri stopped answering his phone um, when that Jordan Rose header went in. So, uh, well, yeah, I think it's I think it's going to stick with the, what he's got. It's a cheap mm. option, right? Is this Patty Jones uh, insider information or Patty Jones cookie eater? <laughs> yeah, it's my paranoia stuck kicked in. I just want to say that one of the teams, well, the team he had his most caps for as a player from 1979 to 1985 and managed in two different stints is called Go Ahead Eagles, which is a great name. The Nigerian, right? Is, that, is, that, is, that, is it the. Uh... No, they're Dutch. They're in the second division. Dutch. They're Dutch, uh, yeah. uh, Eagles, I was confused though. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're geographically close. No. <laughs> no. Ling- linguistically close. No. Sorry, I'm thinking of the long eagles. <sighs> it's on Hotel California, right? <laughs> I'm trying to see. Let's see if there's anybody new of note this week. Other than that, very disappointing. I mean, all my talking point on this is who gives a fuck? <laughs> like, I, I, I have not, like, it is, it, as. Jeff put way or uh, sorry, James, you you said way more eloquently than than I have. Like it's it has nothing to do with all the names on the list and all these individuals that are are coming in. It's it's all about one man and and maybe his sidekick and however they're running the show. Uh, until then, it's a it's a silly silly game uh, trying to lead this club. It's uh, it's a little much to wrap your head around sometimes. And Neil Thompson has a team top of the form table since taking over. Yeah. So that takes us to, it is the first show we've done in February. So who are our January players of the month? Patty. Um, 
it's interesting. I think there's three contenders I was thinking about. I think Shaw Shaw took the first half of January you know, with his, his, his uh, headlines, but then obviously disappeared uh, down the, what we thought was a kind of COVID rabbit hole. But actually, it's something maybe transfer-related than not transfer-related. Who knows why he's been out for the last three games. Uh, but either way... He picked uh, up a knock too, I think, but that might okay. have been cover for... I don't know. Sorry. Thank you. Um, and... Then I think Origide, so he's been kind of two stories of second half and first half of the month. I think Origide's had a good two games since he came back. But I'm going to go with a third person, and that's the one that's been in most of the games. I'm going to say Barry Bannon as the player of the month, because I think he's been the most consistent, uh, especially over the last two games. Justin. I, I'm glad that, uh, Patty, you mentioned breaking this month up, because... When, when I saw the question, sort of thought, well, who, who's the player of the month? I went back and looked at all the games. We had that, what, two, almost two weeks without games. We had uh, two cup games, one against a second division side, another against a, you know, European contender um, or European place contender. Uh, so it's been a very weird month. I, I agree Shaw was, the, Shaw was the man of the first portion of the month. I actually think Brennan was probably the player of the second portion for me. I, I thought he represented himself really well on the back line. I'm not quite sure where he's gone off to. I guess another knock. Um, and, and I think the Bannon call makes a lot of sense for this most recent stretch. Um, I also think that, uh, you know, I think I've said it for a couple months before, but the, what a great year just a great season Tom Lees is having. He's just steady. There's nothing great. There's nothing bad. He's not making lots of mistakes. He's he's covering some things. I, I'm not sure he's a standout in any way, shape, or form, but it's yet another month where Tom Lees was a rock in the middle of our defense. James Allen. So the answer is very clearly Liam Palmer uh, on the basis – Look, if you score one goal every 10 years, you deserve a player. Of <laughs> so uh, so congratulations, Dave Palmer. Um, <laughs> although technically that goal was... No, it was in January, so he can have that. Yeah. That's fine. Um, actually, I'm, I'm going to... I think look, the names have kind of been called out in terms of probably consistency. Uh, maybe just adding one more name. I don't think Kieran Westwood has had a bad I was going to name Kieran Westwood if you made, didn't. He's, so. he's made some very solid interventions and, and he's... Yeah, there were a few flashes of, of the Kieran Westwood of all, particularly that save at the end against Bournemouth. Um, but I'm actually going to kind of, I'm going to go with one of those kind of awful, banal, like, you know, spread bet responses, which is the players who've come in and done a job. So you can look across this squad, which is stretched very thin. And in key games this month, people have stepped in at the last minute and they've delivered what we needed, you know, whether it's Brennan or Galvin or Liam Shaw earlier in the month, as you said. Alan Danny, Patterson. Callum Patterson has, has kind of stepped in. Somehow this squad has come through, you know, a pretty tough period with genuine, generally a pretty good record. Um, and with all that's going on around the club and all the noise and all of the, you know, we make jokes about players getting paid and everything else, but uh, I think that is to their credit. Um, maybe with that one aberration against Coventry aside. So I'll, I'll give the squad it. Yeah, I think it's... It's funny because the season started with a 12-point deduction, eventually reduced to six. But we've known all along this is basically what the season was going to be. You know, the optimists among us, probably even back in August, September, were saying, oh, maybe we'll, maybe we'll be out of the drop zone by Christmas. And you know, the early results under Monk looked that way, too. But I don't think any of us can sit here surprised in February where they're still in a relegation spot. And the thing of it is, it hasn't really felt like a you know a relegation fight yet. There's still almost half the season to go. That might be part of the reason. We haven't really reached the business end of the fixture calendar yet, although we're basically in it because it's like eight games in 26 days. Um, but it's certainly not going to get any easier from here and any not any less congested. But it, it doesn't, and maybe it's because there's not fans in the stands. Maybe it's just the sort of metronomic nature of the two games a week. You don't really get, it's just like, oh, there's another game today. That's what it kind of feels like. 
it's going to take it's a very roundabout way it's not really about the subject at hand but it's going to take those kind of like steady day in and day out performances from the squad to get this team over the line it's not going to be the and look there's just not it, it, it part of the reason they're down on this part of the table there's not that one like hero player on the squad there's not that one player that's going to be able to drag them over the line uh, as much as that can you know happen in soccer i mean it, it can at times but i don't think they have that that sort of one talismanic force so it, I look back at the January fixtures and I think who was most responsible for the, I won't even put in the cup games in here because you know, who cares about the cup focus on the league. And I think it's, for me, it's Urgehide was most responsible for the points they've gotten this month, just with his steady performance at the back, his reading of the game. I mean, he basically shut down Preston at the end of that game. Because they were trying to attack the left side with Penny and, and Urgehide. Because of course you would. That's what you would want to do. You have the young players there that you think you can exploit. And just, it was absolutely nothing doing. Whether it was winning headers, with stepping up and cutting out passes. And look, we'll, we'll see where we are at the end of February. But that's my pick for January. Did we all pick four different players? Yeah. There you go. That says something about this month. And you know what's nice is... And Jeff, that's to the point you just made. It's going to take everybody stepping up. And I think James, you you said that as well, right? Like this is, it's going to be one of those things where each game, somebody else has to step up. And if they do that, we can probably stay up. <laughs> well, there's no help coming in the transfer window. It's a very quiet end. Uh, Connor Grant goes on permanent transfer to Rochdale. And despite rumors that Liam Shaw might be heading to Celtic, uh, that did not come to fruition. Although that could certainly still happen as he is out of contract in the summer. We didn't talk about this last week. What do we make of the Liam Shaw rumors slash situation, Patty? Um, I think it's clearly going to garner some interest, especially when you get good performances against um, uh, people in the cup. Uh, he's clearly got potential. Um, I'm not surprised he's been linked with Celtic. But also, it could be his agent... Uh, put pressure on uh, Wednesday to sign him up and give him a good contract to let him know that there's got other competitions sniffing around him. So well, you never really like, know. That that's all well and good, but like, and I said this in WhatsApp. I'm I, the George Hurst situation was unpleasant, but if we develop a young player that Celtic's interested in, we're probably going to lose that player to Celtic, and that's just <laughs> the reality of where we are right now and the relative, you know financial offers and financial might of the two teams and that's you know it's not the end of the world i you know if, if there were rumors that everton had a 10 million dollar or 10 million pound offer for lucas joao on the table back in the day and i don't know if that was actually true but you know that's something where i mean maybe at the time we weren't maybe at the time we should have been considering it based on what happened afterwards uh both a financial and performance standpoint but you know, that's just, that's the, we're not in a position to keep our best youth players, which is unfortunate uh, on a number of levels. But the fact they've let it, let it get to this point too, where they've kept him out of contract and, or into a position where he'll be out of contract and didn't identify this earlier or make a, you know, a substantial contract offer earlier, I think has has exacerbated the whole thing. James and Justin are both arguing over who is going to speak next. So <laughs> Justin was first. I think, we're, I, I think we're on the same point personally, but uh, no, Jeff, you actually, yeah, you raised two great points. The first being that uh, you, you, you're a hundred percent right. We're, we're talking about a player who we have had in our Academy for a little while. We've he's, only play, about, he's only played seven games this year to be clear. Yeah, no, but but he's a he's a homegrown player. I mean, we've I, I don't actually know what age we signed him, but I bet it's like fucking twelve. Like we've known Liam Shaw and his potential and seen his game for a long time. And the fact that we haven't moved to sign him, and granted, he hasn't, as you point out, seven games, he hasn't stepped up uh and shown this before. But the fact that we haven't made moves to lock him up is damning, right? 
The second part of it is, though, when, when you talk about a player going to a club like Celtic, uh, and maybe George Hurst is a good example, but for me with Liam Shaw is, is a perfect example right here. Liam Shaw has an opportunity to get significant playing time and play a fairly regular role, either with ideally a championship side or a pretty good uh, league one side, right? One assumes uh, he's, he's shown that he can play at the championship level. Does he want to play championship level football every week or go to Celtic where he may not be getting the kind of time that he wants? And, and I find far too often young players will move to the wrong place or move to the wrong situation or leave too early because there is money flashed around or there's a badge flashed around. And it's understandable. I'm not going to criticize Liam Shaw if he goes to Celtic. Why the fuck would you not go to Celtic? They're going to pay you more. You're going to ideally play in front of that crowd, uh, most likely play in Europe. Um you know, I get it, but at the same time, I, I think there's a little more nuance here. He's a Wednesdayite. He's from here. He's got an opportunity to get some playing time. I, I think even if Celtic is in on it, um, he may be, may be a smart move for him to stay for a little bit. So here's the thing, right? We're for jobbing Wednesdayites. We don't know Liam Shaw. We don't know his motivation or otherwise. Best of my knowledge, he's injured right now. Yeah, something we just don't understand. There was interest from what I understand. And therefore, to your point, Justin, if you're a young kid, you're playing for Sheffield Wednesday in our current state of affairs and Celtic FC come knocking, of course your head is turned. The bigger the bigger issue here at hand is not necessarily the fact that young players are attracted by bigger clubs or that Wednesday are where they are relative to the rest of the, the kind of the, the pyramid in English and British football. It's that the club don't seem to have a plan for how to develop and curate young players. Now, I, I know this is kind of an easy talking point, right? We talk a lot about the club don't seem to have a plan for a lot of things, football or business related, and that's entirely consistent. But clubs that do this well, whether in their academies, are very clear about when a player is ready for first team football, when they need to go out to the lower league in order to gain experience, when they need to be maybe... Uh, sent to a partner club for a year in order to get experience of just playing regularly within a certain system. Wednesday have none of that going on. So everything is a free radical. And that's why, you know, when a player like Liam Shaw suddenly emerges, we're all excited because, wow, you know, where did he come from? Where did that, where did that talent emerge from? It's through his own endeavour. And everything that happens from here is really going to be a question of, who takes an interest and where his head is turned to. It's completely out of our control. Whereas an organization that does this well is planning their talent. They're planning how to develop that talent, how to progress that career. And they're giving them options at all stages. And that's just not what we do. I'm, I'm, that's the bottom line, right? So we're, we're in a free radical environment. We should just accept it for what it is. I mean, the most ludicrous example of this to me is that you know, Southampton is widely considered to have the best sort of academy system in English football at this point. And one of their partner clubs is literally Hartford Athletic. Why would a, at this point, well-established Premier League side want to have a, a partner club in the USL championship in Hartford, Connecticut? I don't know, but they. I think they probably have a plan. They, there's a certain kind of players they want to send there. They sent one of their youth team coaches here to manage it. So there, there, there's some value they're getting out of it. I don't. And maybe it's a coach development pipeline of all things. You know, maybe they're looking at like sort of like a Watford model, or they want some sort of, or they're hey, maybe they're looking at young U.S. college players that are coming out that are like diamonds in the rust. They can pick up on the on the cheap and well, the record know, two things right one yeah. southampton lost nine nil to manchester united this week so mm. they're planning for the future not for today well done southampton <laughs> two i think paddy's asleep like i can just see him like slowly like disappearing yeah. in the corner of his uh his quadrant on zoom so yeah hey you know what you guys this, this is actually a uh a really great point that you raised it's not a fun point it's not an enjoyable point but you know, because I've talked uh, this year about the fact that I feel like our academy, we, we put some 
we made some changes. We put some effort into it. Like we're actually starting to see some younger players who are able to play at this level, which I've been kind of encouraged by. Uh, but James, with your rosy outlook, um, has made me realize there's way more to it than that, right? It's not just about signing and producing the kids with talent. It's about having a plan for what to do with them. Um, and yeah, we we do not, which is how we ended up in this bizarre situation of not knowing what to do with Liam Shaw and, you know, honestly not getting Alex Hunt out somewhere where he's going to get playing time. I, I like Alex, Alex Hunt. I think he's got a future at, at this level, but it's not going to be part of this team staying up this year. So go get him some experience somewhere. And the fact that that wasn't planned on and, you know, uh, executed is a, a little disappointing. I mean, the whole window is a bit of a shit show, if not unexpected. And if you're Alex Hunt, like you're champing at the bit for first team football, your head's going to be turned a lot more easily now is the other thing. And he may, he may, he may be enjoying playing with veterans and, you know, he's gaining. not playing though. Sorry, other experiences. <laughs> no, 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 he's, he's 20. He's not young. Like, something we talk about that. these guys as like youth players. He's like 20. He, that's not young by. He's not, he's not hold on, hold on. There's two things that Alex Hunter is enjoying right now. He's enjoying being told he can't take corners by Adam Reach being slowly moved aside with a gentle pat on the shoulder. And it's a pretty easy pat on the shoulder because Adam Reach is literally two feet taller than that Alex Hunt. And I'm sure he's enjoying being a professional footballer and all the trappings that go with that. But Jeff, mass beneath the comedy is a really serious point. At 20, as a footballer, you're making career and life decisions. You're trying to work out whether this is a, you know, literally a vocation that can sustain you or whether you've got to choose some another path, right? And especially now when football isn't in quite such the guaranteed money-earning circumstance that it was two years ago. Sheffield Wednesday have a responsibility to these players. And it's demoralising at best. It is an abject dereliction of duty at worst in terms of managing their careers. And I don't doubt there are people within the academy system at Wednesday who are thinking every day about what the right thing to do is for these players. What I'm simply saying is that it feels like we're doing it on the knee-jerk and we're doing it on the basis of uh, one or two performances as opposed to managing the arc of their careers. And that's the same as the way in which we manage the club. It's the same as we manage our managers. It's the same way as which we manage the engagement with the fan base as a whole. And that's just not good enough. I'm, I'm sorry to kind of come on with like a diatribe of negativity on that, but this is symptomatic of the way we, we've the missed you so badly, so, James, on the show. There we go. <laughs> Hello, I mean, guys. I'm back. And it just it it goes back further. You can go back further to Sean Clare or Kaylin Lavery or. Uh, you know, raise McCabe. Like it's, this is not, I will say none of those guys, none of those guys have done jack shit. Well, whatever that's worth. That's not necessarily, you know, that's part of the pro that I think that's uh, part of Wednesday's dereliction with those players too. I don't think it's just that they weren't good. I mean, it might've ended up that they weren't good, but I I don't know if that was a fait accompli. Ivan Tony tonight scored for Brentford. He has scored more goals. It's the best player in the championship. This season than Sheffield Wednesday combined. <laughs> and that tells you that a club can identify talent, can pluck them from the low leagues, can develop them. And you can absolutely guarantee they'll sell them for a profit, right? Yeah, but, you know, no, James, James, I'm cutting you off, bud. <laughs> Listen, I'm super excited you're back and I'm looking forward <laughs> to you coming on a regular basis. But you missed the goddamn Stoke game amongst all the other things. And then you show up and you have to gall to complain about Sheffield Wednesday Football Club. What do you think Jeff and I have been doing for the last three months? You don't get to come on here and be like, well, I didn't, let me just get it in, even though I missed. You, you've given it, but we get it, man. We're all on the same page. And for the record, I have multiple times when your attitude has been brought up. I'm like, hey, I'm with them. James Allen says something. I'm on board. I'm listening. But we, we got to move on, bud. You can't, can't spend all night letting it out. I will wrap up this segment <laughs> just by saying that, you know, as as Wednesday fans, I think you do get extra attachment to the players that come up through the system. And like, look, it would be great if Liam Shaw stays as 
Sheffield Wednesday player for a decade, you know, is a captain for the team when they get back to the Premier League. But the reality is, if you know Celtic comes in and offers real money, I think you've got to look at it with a very sort of like realistic eye. And the problem you run into is they're not going to offer real money because he's if, like if you get you to sign him to a three-year contract extension, all of a sudden you might actually get real money for him. But you've just kind of you know, created a situation where we end up at a tribunal 18 months from now or something like that <laughs> because it's just been horribly mismanaged. Hopefully the games this week will be well managed as Wednesday try to get out of the relegation zone. We have a Saturday 10 a.m. kickoff at the New Den in Millwall and another Tuesday 2 p.m. game home to Wickham and I will turn things over to Justin. Yeah, I'll be honest. I don't really want to talk about either of these teams. Do you guys want to ask me questions? Uh, (laughs) Perhaps um, I could answer them. I mean, it's, I feel like as I recall, like Millwall played, like looked really good when we played against them in a very un Millwall way, but they're just in the middle of the table again, which feels very Millwall. Yeah, they have uh, 14 draws. <laughs> <laughs> so we we drew with them uh, 0-0 last time. So, I mean, it's it's Gary Rowett. It's Millwall. I, um, they do have uh, Jed Wallace. Jed Wallace is a very good footballer. He'll be on the right side of their attack. Um, and he's dangerous. That's you know, no just um, look at these stats. They are the most middle of the road, mid table <laughs> team of us in my entire life. So, like, Patty's back, when... everybody. Hi, guys. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are doing such a good job in the news section. <laughs> the middle of the stats are hilarious. Like, so 14 draws. Um, the ball was like scored as many as they let in, so 22 and 25. Uh, their expected goals and expected goals against are about 0.8 difference between either side. So it is just literally they're drawing games and they're mid-table and they're the dullest team in the world. But yeah, it's at least they're safe. Hey, so, we can beat them. Another nil-nil draw then? We could also lose to them. Yeah. Or draw. We can beat no. them. <laughs> uh, Wickham at home. Uh, they really need to win this game. That's not a question, Justin. <laughs> Wickham do. No. Wickham's bad. Wickham definitely do. Uh, Wickham's bad at football. Like, it just, it's not, it's not a good team. 7-2 uh, to Brentford. Did I see that right recently? Yeah. I mean, listen, Bre- Brentford are pretty good. Yeah, yeah, they can do that. Weren't we on a run of form uh, last time we played Wickham and they were on a bad run of form and they beat us 1-0? That's what happened. No, we, yes. we were on a bad run of form. Uh, I thought we were. I thought we were on a little bit. Of a, a, I mean, Wickham had been on a bad run of form. No, they were the middle game. We we oh, lost to Luton. Yeah. No, they might have been the last game of it. It was. It, it was, was bad. It was, Wickham, it was yeah. Halloween. Yeah. It was Halloween. Uh, that, that was. Yeah, that was. We, we uh, owe them. That was ugly. We owe them then, really, don't we? I mean, I I think that if the players have got anything about them, that must have been embarrassing for them. Uh, and they're going to want to kind of get their revenge. I would hope to see a, a real kind of like performance from our players uh, that were in that game. Because... We're good at home now, apparently, which is fucking shocking. But... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you think that home makes a difference? So it's, it's no, interesting. I think it's. Yeah, I, at... I don't. Yeah. I think it's mostly just everything about the season is random variants. So. Did it's you see Wayne catch... Rooney complaining that the Rotherham executive box was a bit noisy tonight? <laughs> and we didn't talk about this in the Burnmouth game, but the, that sideline did not shut up for 90 minutes. Yeah, they were great. They were like in a little stuck away section there. That's funny, though. He said that Rotherham lacked respect or professionalism or something along those lines. Oh, he's already getting like these miserable Mourinho kind of quotes, is he? That's fantastic. Mm. I was saying in the WhatsApp group earlier on, it'd be fantastic if his first managerial job he gets relegated. Never. Yeah, they're in better form, unfortunately. Can I just mention one guy? Uh, who I'd never heard of, and I looked him up a little bit for Wickham. They've had kind of a mishmash of uh, players up up top for them. Um, everybody's favorite, uh, Akin Fenwa, has no goals and no assists. Ten starts, eleven appearances off Look, the that bench. That gets He's, you like ten million dollars from Everton as your backup striker. So, <laughs> but they have recently got on loan in January from Leicester 
somebody whose name is Admiral Muskwe. And I, I apologize for not knowing how to pronounce his last name. It's Zimbabwe. And um, he has a goal in 144 minutes, which doesn't sound great until you realize the leading scorer on uh, uh, Wickham is their left back with two goals. So <laughs> uh, it's it's looks like he's actually a young uh, striker with some talent who is willing to play alone up front. So it might just be uh, one little thing to look out for. Uh, with Wickham trying to get the ball up to him. Uh, I, I'm glad uh, I'm glad our back line has looked a little more put together recently. I thought Admiral Musque was a kind of a deodorant in the 80s. <laughs> Maybe in England. It was a car insurance brand here, but there you go. <laughs> James, since we, uh, since we have you here, what can you tell us about High Wickham and Buckinghamshire? I can tell you, Jeff, that it's a place I've driven by probably a thousand times on the M40 and never had any fucking intention of stopping in, apart from once when I, uh, when I had stopped to get a present for somebody from, I think, the High Wycombe branch of John Lewis, um, which was very, very nicely uh, furnished um, and probably says a lot about suburban London. High Wycombe is basically just a suburb of London, um, which yeah. happens to have a football team. It's somewhere on the perimeter of the M25 orbital motorway. And it is remarkably unremarkable. I cannot say anything of any great note about it. I know nothing about its history. And um, they're called, what are they called? The Chair Boys, not the, the Chair Boys. Boys yes. Which uh, I don't understand. And I need Justin for that, but he's just walked out the room. So um, basically the conclusion is Wickham is an aberration. It's, uh, it's a place that shouldn't really have a championship football team, but it does. Uh, I don't think anyone really is going to spare a passing thought for it in history, but Maybe they will now because of Abba Fenway, Abba Fenway. And um, yeah, it's nothing bad, nothing good, nothing interesting. And really, we should be beating them twice a season, but let's console ourselves with just winning once out of twice. Are we potentially looking at here uh, an opportunity to have four wins on the bounds? Surely we will find a way to... Yeah, we'll draw out. against Millwall. <laughs> <laughs> their, their form's not good either, right? So we, yeah. we're... We're the farm team for both against both of these. Well, their form, their form is draw. <laughs> yeah, that's their one form. What they do, they're one dimensional. I will just point out that Wickham has brought us Colin Baker, the sixth incarnation of Doctor Who, uh, Benjamin Disraeli, famous <laughs> prime minister, uh, Mighty Boosh stars Noel Fielding and Dave Brown met at Buck's new university in Wickham. Also from Wickham, uh, James Corden. That's you know. It's probably a net negative. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the game is fielding. I'll take him. I'll take that for Terry for Pratchett too. So, yeah, not too bad. The deeper uh, you dig, Jeff, the more you're finding. So keep going. Yeah, I'll see what, <laughs> see what else I can find. Uh, nobody particularly interesting in the sports section. I saw Clinton Morrison play. Um, oh, Heston Wednesday Blumenthal, Wickham. the uh, chef from the Fat Duck. Yeah, it's from. Yeah, it's a very Wickham accent. Yeah, again, I don't know. Let's let's not get stuck on Wickham for God's sake. We'll Basically, the night. town's nearest motorway is the M40. It has two <laughs> junctions serving Wickham: Junction Three for Loudwater and High Wickham, Junction Four for the Handy Cross Roundabout in Central Wickham. <laughs> Fucking hell! Please end this. Uh, they are called the Chair Boys because there's the High Wickham Chair Making Museum, which houses a collection of antique tools and explains the process. Okay, how the... even the nickname is boring. <laughs> how the Martin, Martin O'Neill took them out of the football conference to the football league. Speaking Exciting of Martin O'Neill football. This is, this is yeah. like a treasure trove. The deeper we dig, the more we're finding reasons to love Wickham. Can, Jeff, can you talk about the difference between High Wickham and Low Wickham? I, I can't, but uh, I... there's no reason for it. Not too exciting. I didn't, even, I didn't even know Garrett Ainsworth was their manager now. The, uh... Ainsworth is exciting. Let's talk about Gareth Ainsworth. He's like a rock star playing football manager. Mm. Uh, they have a twin town. It's Kelkheim, Germany, in the, uh, <laughs> the main tennis district. Oh, uh, <laughs> it looks like they have one train station James, that connects. You're a lab <laughs> You always go Jeff onto these things. And we're Frankfurt these and Koenigstein chaos. by rail. <laughs> So uh, they don't appear to have any actual. I go back to sleep. <laughs> I don't. Th- I can't find a Bundesliga or Bundesliga two team in uh, 
Uh, it's only so they, I guess the closest soccer team to Kalkheim it would be uh, Mainz because they're thirty kilometers away from Mainz. Patty, before you take a little doze, do we have any other business? Oh, cool! You went straight into other business. No, we, had, we have nothing. Um, I think. What else the, the... would I have after those? Uh, you want to keep talking about Wickham for a little while? No. <laughs> <laughs> I think Jamie's doing some New Orleans meetups. Um, have a look on our website. It's nearer the day. Um, but he's been going to the outside TV at Finn McCool's. Uh, once it gets warmer again in New York and not everyone's got COVID, we'll uh, start meeting the parks again. This has been episode 125 of the Owls Americast. You can find us on the internet at owlsamericas.com. Email the show at owlsamericas at gmail.com. Find and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Owls Americas. Our podcast intro and bumpers by fellow Wednesday as Reverend and the Makers. The podcast is on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, Podbean, probably anywhere else you choose to download podcasts. There's no wrong way to listen to the show. Just do what feels right. Wherever you choose to consume the Owls Americast, we ask that you rate and review the show. It helps more Wednesdays find our ramblings. James is on Twitter at Manhattan Owl. James, if you were to stop in Wickham for some reason, would your first stop be the Odds Farm Park or the Dashwood Mausoleum? Definitely the Mausoleum. Mm. I mean, that. That sounds like a, a treasure trove of intrigue only marked by the chair museum up the hill in High Wycombe. It was uh, built between 1740 and 1800 in the village of West Wycombe, conceived as a pleasure palace for the 18th century libertine and dilettante Sir Francis Dashwood, second baronet. James! Hang on a minute, hang on a minute. <laughs> West Wycombe? Yeah. So there's High Wycombe, Low Wycombe, West Wycombe, <laughs> East Wycombe, and they also set the whole series of Bridgerton in Wycombe. Mm. Very interesting. Looking at the descriptions of the dilettante, the Dashwoods of West Wycombe. Oh my God, this, Christ, this uh, is a longer... It's teeming with information. It's a longer Wikipedia page than Wycombe itself. And <laughs> we have time for. Uh just on Twitter at New England Owl. Justin, would you be interested in the Hellfire Caves, also known as the West Wickham Caves, a network of man made chalk and flint caverns that extend 400 meters underground? Sounds absolutely amazing. They were, all, uh, <laughs> they were excavated between 1748 and 1752, also for Francis Dashwood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sounds. Sounds stunning. Um, don't forget, Jeff, I have uh, paid uh, tens, many tens, maybe even hundreds of thousands of dollars to have multiple degrees in history. So my uh, <laughs> understanding of uh, and my interest in uh, humanity's past is uh, quite high. So the idea of walking into something like that sounds outstanding. Patty is on Twitter at Patty A. Jones and at New York Owls. Patty. When in Wickham, how do you feel about joining the Booker Gliding Club for some flying lessons at the Wickham Air Part? It gets me out of Wickham, I'm all for it. <laughs> uh, and hopefully we'll be flying high next week.